Well, this morning, we're still going to be in our series, Sit, Walk, and Stand. And we'll be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. And to the, the teaching title this morning is called Walking Together. And we've seen Paul over the last three chapters. He's been talking about doctrinal issues. He's been talking about how we should live. And, and Pastor Joey did a great job last week with that ladder, right? The steps of the ladder going up in our prayer life. And, you know, and the power of the Holy Spirit. And this week, Paul's going to talk to us about a walk that we have, because that's our series, Sit. We were sitting in the heavenly realms with Christ, and now we're going to walk. We're walking out our faith. And we're walking in this manner that is worthy of the calling which he's given us, which is our lives correspond with the blessed position that we have in Christ. Because remember, we are blessed in Christ. We sit with Him in these heavenly realms. And we're called to walk with Him in unity and with other believers as well. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And we're going to start there. I'll give you a second to get there. But what this is talking about, what Paul's going to talk about, he's talking about the unity and the maturity of the body of Christ. So as we get going, let's start... And it says this, As prisoners of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. You know, Paul spent the first half of this book explaining who we are in Christ, that we're a new creation in Christ, and explaining everything that God has done for each and every one of us, and that we're seated with Him in these heavenly realms, a new identity that we have. And Paul will tell us now to live a life that's worthy of the calling. There is a call, right? So what's the proper response to a call? What do we do when we get a call on our cell phone, right? What do we do? We answer it. God's given us a call, and our response is to answer that. And God has chosen all of us to be Christ's representatives here on earth. We're called to be his children. In Matthew 28, the Great Commission, we're called to make disciples. And as we make those disciples, the proper response to this in faith should be us walking out our faith, walking in faith. We're called first to follow Jesus Christ. We're called to be disciples, walking day by day in the truth, in the Word of God. And this word worthy means it's a balancing the scales. As believers who walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling in which we've been called, it's daily living out our lives which corresponds with who we are and our blessed position of children of God and heirs of Jesus Christ as we walk in unity with Him and other believers. It's to bring glory to God. It's our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by being a loving community where people are saved, set free, and discipled. And God has created each and every one of us in His image. And knowing who we are in Christ should encourage us and inspire us to live a fruitful and faithful life and an obedient life for Christ. And God loves each and every one of us, doesn't he? He loves each and every one of us. It says, for God so loved the world. That's all of us. And each one of us has value to God. Each and every one of us. And if we believe these truths, it will inspire us to live and walk a worthy life. 
In light of this truth, Paul is challenging the Ephesians and us today to live worthy of the calling that we've received. In other words, the best way for us to walk out our Christian faith is to walk it out in discipleship. Discipleship to walk day by day by the truth in the Word of God. That's how we live. We live by the promises of God, not the explanations of the world. We follow the Word of God. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in us for God's glory. And this is an awesome privilege of being called Christ's very own. And to walk with Him in our lives daily in this manner that is worthy of the calling. And I have a question for each and every one of us. Are we walking in a manner that's worthy of the calling that God has given us? Are we walking that out? Are we joining God where he's working in the church and where he's working in our communities? Do we join him and experience God in his fullness? Are we actually being discipled and walking with him? Something I want you to just think about and pray about that as well. Are we experiencing God to the fullness in our lives? And Paul now, he's going to unpack how we should walk in these next couple verses. It's talking about our relationship with God. It's talking about temptation, our relationships in our marriage, where we work, and also spiritual warfare. He's going to talk about some of the things that we need to do in our walk while we're walking. In verse 2, it says this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, church, no one is ever going to be perfect here on earth, right? And we must accept other Christians and other people in spite of their faults, right? Sometimes that can be hard. When we see the faults in fellow believers, we should be patient and we should be gentle with them. And if there's someone whose actions that annoy you, imagine that. Does anybody ever annoy you? Right? And think about this. Not everybody's going to like you, okay? Imagine that, right? Not everybody's going to like you, and you're not going to like everybody. But that's not the point. Rather than dwelling on that, on who this person's personality is or their weaknesses or looking at their faults, we need to pray for them. We need to pray for them. And better yet, we need to get to know them better. We need to get to share the love of Christ with them. And this includes being humble and gentle and patient, understanding, and peaceful. Humility means putting Jesus Christ first. Putting Christ first and putting others over ourselves. And then that comes to us being last. But remember, in the kingdom of God, if you want to be first, you need to be last. So putting other people ahead of us that's what we need to do. And when we walk out this humility, it fosters a culture where unity thrives within the body of Christ. Sometimes humility means exceeding patience. You ever had that? Exceeding patience? Let me give you a little bit of hint about this, okay? Don't ever pray and ask for patience, okay? Just to let you know. Because God will give you something in your life to help you with that. He will help you. He will answer that prayer, and He will give you something to be very patient about. 
But humility realizes that we are all equal in God's eyes and we are all equally loved by him and that we're all the same in his eyes, his beloved children. I have a picture up on the screen. It's a fishbowl. And the reason I have this up there is that people are watching our lives, aren't they? It's kind of like we live in a fishbowl, that people are looking at every aspect of everything that we do. And they're looking for us to make a mistake, right? Anybody ever make a mistake, right? We're all going to make mistakes. But what the issue is, is what I've heard. I read this in a book once. Why people don't want to become a Christian is because they've met one. I mean, they've met one because our walk does not match up. What we say and what we do do not line up. And that's what Paul's saying about this worthy walk. And I want to ask you, in your walk, can people see Christ in you? Do they see Jesus in you in your walk? And I've heard this said, is this, have you, if you were ever found, convicted of being a Christ follower, would there be enough evidence to find you guilty? Would there be evidence in your life and in your walk to find you guilty of following Christ? So how are you doing as his representative in, the, in your walk? Can people see Christ in you in your walk? And in this reference to being called, to being God's children, it's called to being faithful and obedient, loving God and loving our neighbors. And one of the things is, is we don't love God so he will love us more, right? Because some people get that, I'll love them and maybe they'll love me more. That's not with God. We don't love God so he'll love us more. 1 John 4.19 says this, we love because he loved us first. Amen? God loved us first. And our walk in love is a response to how God loves us. We walk out our faith in response to how God has loved each and every one of us. God is the initiator, and we're the responders. And we respond in love to other people. Think about this. How much more patient would you be with someone if we really understood how incredibly patient God was with each and every one of us? When you think about your life, when, you look at, when I look at my life, when I look at the highlight reel of Craig, and I look at that and I'm like, oh, Lord, how could anybody love me? The things that I've done on my worst day, and what does he say? I love you. He loves each and every one of us. But think about how long would you put up with yourself if you were God? The things that you do, how long would you put up with them? And God puts up with us on the different things that we do each and every day. And it's a lot easier for us to be humble and gentle and patient when we really know and understand who God is and His desires for His will to be done in our lives. So the question is, are you walking in humility with your walk? Realizing that everything we have is because of God's grace, His loving kindness, because of His generosity and His mercy and His goodness in our lives. You know, when I was putting this teaching together, the Lord was speaking to me about that. Because He's saying, Craig, what are you doing in your walk? 
the Lord spoke to me, and I hope the Lord's speaking to you right now. How are you doing in your walk? And in our walk, we must show these attributes. We must let people know about Christ's love, letting mercy and grace flow from us to them. And then in verse 3, it says this. And I love this because Paul knows who we are, I think. He knew who they were. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We're called to follow Jesus in discipleship and to walk in the truth. And now Paul encourages us, and he knows that such a walk is impossible without keeping the unity of the Holy Spirit, this bond of peace in us. When he says make every effort, he knows that we're going to fail, right? And we're going to. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And unity just doesn't happen. We have to work at it. We have to be intentional when we do this. That's why he says make an effort. Be intentional about what you're doing. Build unity. That's what the Holy Spirit does the best. That's one of his most important roles. And he leads us, but we have to be willing to be led by the Spirit, to do our part to keep that peace. And we do this by focusing on God and not ourselves. We focus on God. Praise God that he's in the business of transforming people, changing hearts and changing lives, right? Because he's changed us from who we used to be to who we are now in Christ. And he's so gentle and patient with us. And Paul tells us that the same way to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, he says this, So I say, walk. By the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's that word walk. There's our walk again, walking by the Spirit. And He knows that sometimes we can respond in the flesh. Anybody respond to people in the flesh? We do it all the time. But we should respond to people in the Spirit because when we respond in the flesh, it's usually out of arrogance and pride. But when we respond in the Spirit, it's out of humility. And Paul urges us to this unity, this oneness in Christ that the people of the church have. The unity that we have in love. And unity is not based on rules that everyone needs to conform to. It's about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. That's what's so important. Often differences among people can lead to division. And this shouldn't be true in the church. The Holy Spirit is never divisive. The Spirit does not create strife or conflict among Christians. The Holy Spirit never produces an attitude of arrogance or superiority. Paul speaks of the Spirit that creates unity among believers. And that's what unites us. This foundation, that's the foundation that we have and that we rest on. And on this foundation, we can continue to grow. Instead of concentrating on what divides us, because so many people talk about what they're against, we should be talking about what we're for. We should be talking about what unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit that dwells in each and every one of us. And now, in verse 4, we'll see these common grounds that they have for unity. Many people try to unite Christians in a way that's not biblical, 
For example, they'll say, well, we're not interested in doctrines. But what we are interested in is we're interested in love. Let's just forget about the doctrines and just love each other, okay? But Paul did not discuss spiritual unity in these first three chapters. Paul waited until he laid this doctrinal foundation for each one of us. Not all Christians are going to agree on these minor matters of the Christian faith and on Christian doctrine. For example, what about food? What about what we eat, right? Romans addresses that about the food that we eat. And then what about the music? The worship that we play. Some people say that having drums, that's not worship. Or what about this? What about the Hawaiian shirts that we wear in here sometimes, right? Those are minor things that are meant to try to divide us, but they don't divide us because we agree on the foundations of truth that are found in God's Word. And we build our foundation on Jesus Christ and the truths in the Word of God because we live by the promises of God. Any other foundation is no foundation at all. And Paul now will go on to name seven basic spiritual realities that unite all the believers as one. In verse 4, it says this, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over and through all and in all, the body of Christ, united as one. That's the church. And seven times he says this. He says, the body, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, baptism, and God the Father of all. And we get this oneness with Christ when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives, when we accept him as our Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit then dwells in each one of us. Remember, we're his holy temple And this is so important for us in our Christian walk, the hope that we have. We're also called to prepare to be ready to tell people about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that hope is the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Assuring us of this great promise in Ephesians 1, 13, it says this, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions to the praise of his glory. Amen. Paul was suggesting that the believers who realizes the existence of the body who walks in the spirit of hope and looks for the Lord's return, is going to be a peacemaker and not a troublemaker. We're going to live in that unity of of peace. Unity and faith for all true Christians that we agree on is our faith. And God is overall, this shows His overruling care and His love for each and every one of us. And through Him and in Him, all of us, this shows His active presence in the world and the lives of believers. And we need to enjoy the way members of the body complete one another because we do. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, Just as the body through one has many parts, but its all many parts form one body, 
so with it in Christ. For we are baptized by one spirit, so to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Church, enjoy the unity and the diversity in the body. Enjoy that. It's what we have in common that binds us together. We are all one in Christ, each and every one of us. And when we receive Jesus in our hearts, we become his children, and we have that in common, and we are united in love with each other and with God. The unity that we have in Christ and with fellow believers is greater than any differences that we might have. We have Jesus, we have the same Spirit living inside each and every one of us, and we have that same eternal hope. And we share that faith, the one baptism, which is identifying with us the same Christ on His death and His resurrection. And there is one God, our Father, who is over all. And in love, all differences can be tolerated. Love unites us. It does not divide us. And then in verse 7, it says this, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. There is unity in the body, but there's also this diversity. We're all united because of Christ. Each part of the body of Christ functions in a unique way according to the gift that God has given them. And then in verse 8, it says, this is why it says, when he ascended on high, took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Each one of us has been given a gift and given grace. And we are encouraged and we're encouraged to recognize and use our gifts and accept the gifts of others. There's no need for pride or envy because of a person's gifts or something that we don't have that they have. Because God has given us each our own unique gifts to use for building his kingdom. And when were these gifts given? Paul uses this illustration by quoting Psalm 68, 18, which says this, When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from your people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Paul taught that Christ is the giver of these gifts through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus ascended to heaven as a victor forever. And this is a picture of a military conqueror marching to the gates and taking tribute from a fallen city, leading his captives, sharing his spoils with his followers. In this case, the captives are not his enemies, but they're his own. They're us. As sinners, we were once held captive by the sin. And when Jesus ascended to heaven, he did two things. He took captives. No longer were we captives to sin, but now we're captives by Christ, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he gave gifts to his people. He set his captives free, and he gifted his church so they could fulfill the mission in which we were called to fulfill, exercising their spiritual gifts to help the body grow each and every one of us. And Paul is saying this, that Jesus was self-giving, his coming into this world, and this is the basis for all gifts of grace. 
Paul uses this picture to teach us that Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, was he was victorious over our enemy. And within the life of the church, that all of these gifts that we've been given have a purpose. To bring the people of God to full maturity. All these gifts are there so that we can all grow to full maturity in Christ. And then verse 9 says this, What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This may be earth itself. It's lowly compared to heaven, right? Or it could be the grave or Hades. However we understand it, Christ is the Lord of the whole universe, past, present, and future. Nothing and no one is hidden from Him. Our Lord came to this earth and faced death so that He could rescue and save everyone, all people. The point here is no one is beyond God's reach for salvation. No one. Jesus gave the gifts to the church, and we'll see some of these in this next couple verses. And Paul is emphasizing that this rich variety of gifts, and it's a sign of true maturity and unity within the church. And that's our goal in our Christian walk, is to become united and mature in Christ. So in verse 11, it says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There are a couple different categories going on here. These are different giftings, different things that are happening. They're areas of leadership, and certain people have these and certain people don't. But this involves preaching and teaching and healing, nurturing, giving, administrating, building, and many other tasks. He talks about the apostles because the apostles were the leaders in the early church, right? That's what they were. Then he says the prophets, the Holy Holy Spirit-inspired church advisors, the people that read the Word of God, and then evangelists. Evangelists, do we have any evangelists in here where your heart is just burning so bad that you just want to share the love of Christ with everyone? That's what he talks about when it comes to evangelists. They wanted to share the good news. And then he talks about pastors. And a pastor is basically a shepherd. It's a shepherd of a specific congregation. And pastoring is a guarding ministry. It's for the protection of the flock. It's shepherding the flock. It's feeding them and protecting the flock. And here's one thing I want to make very clear to us. A pastor's calling is not intended to be a place of honor or power, but it's a place of service. It's a place of service to serve you and to serve our Lord. And then teachers, it's a communicator of God's Word. It's the ones who teach the people to be grounded in the God's truths in His Word. And we're called to walk together, but we're not called to walk alone. We're called to walk this walk together. And when we walk, God equips the leaders, and the leaders equip the church. And who's the church? You're the church. 
The people are the church. And one thing about pastors, we're not called to do it all. What we're called to do is we're called to equip the flock. And what does that mean? We're called to influence the people that are around us. We're called to teach and equip you. And my role, as well as the other pastors in this church and within all the campuses, is to help the body grow, to equip you for service for our Lord so the whole body grows. We want to build up the church so that you can use the gifts that God has given you. And when this happens, ministry takes place for God's glory in everything that we do. And personally for me, you know, I I have my own walk. And I have people that I'm accountable to. I have leaders that are above me that pour into me. And they hold me accountable and they equip me for doing service. They equip me for helping in my marriage and all the different things that I get to do. You know, I'm a pastor and I think to myself, all I want to do is serve the Lord according to the purpose that he called me. And my purpose is called to equip the body. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says this, As each one has received a gift, minister to it one another as God, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Paul wrote that some of these gifts are more, are, they are very important, but all believers need to have and use their gifts so the body functions correctly. So I have a question for you today. Do you have a ministry? Are you serving in a ministry here in God's church? Are you participating in building up the body of Christ? What about a group? Are you in a group? Are you leading a group? Are you just participating in a group? Well, what about serving? Are you using your gifts to serve the body of Christ and help the body grow? To strengthen them, to encourage them, and challenge them to grow? Are we using these gifts? The point is, is exercise your spiritual gifts to help the body grow. We need to use our giftings to help the body. God has given His church an enormous responsibility, and that's to make disciples in every nation. And we gather, and we strengthen, and we encourage, and we also challenge other believers so that they might be grow and they would be equipped to do the service and the work of the ministry. The unity of faith that we have with our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and fellow believers. Remember, it's our common identity that we have. And the church exists to bring glory to God, to make disciples, and to evangelize the lost and tell people about Jesus Christ and what they can have. They can have salvation through Him and Him alone to evangelize the unsaved in this world. And to do this, we will be fulfilling these commandments. But if we had to do it alone, we might give up without even trying. But we're not called to do it on our own. It would be impossible. This oneness that we have with Christ, it doesn't destroy our individuality, but it calls us as a member of the body. And the Holy Spirit gives us each a task to do. And together, we do them together and it builds up the church. And now that we have these gifts, it's crucial that we use them. And our function is to help you and to equip you. 
Some people can do some tasks and other people do other tasks according to your gifting. But together, all of us can do more than we can by ourselves. We can accomplish more and we can do more things than ever with the body of Christ. And we try to promote that, that growth within the church as the congregation is being edified and growing and for the sake of fulfilling the mission that God has called us to, the Great Commission. The point here is walking in unity for God's glory. The church can express the fullness of Christ. Using our gifts for His glory. Remember our common identity in Christ. The fullness of God is expressed only when we're in unity with each other and with Jesus through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Only then are we complete. Loving God and loving each other despite our differences. And if you're not sure of your giftings, I want you to pray about that. I want you to ask God to reveal to you what your giftings are and to show you or to ask a pastor or to ask a friend. Also, we have up on the screen, it's a spiritual reflection tool. We have this. We'd like you to look at that. If you're not sure what your gifting is, take this spiritual reflection tool and use it. Remember, our gifts are tools to build up the church. They're not toys for us to play with. They are tools to build the church. And when we begin to recognize our specific area of service and our giftings, the tools that we use to build the church, we become spiritually mature, exercising our gifts that God has given each one of us. And moving forward because we're walking and growing in Christ. The point here is use your gifts to strengthen and encourage the church, advancing the kingdom, impacting the world for God's glory. In verse 14, it says this, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. You know, at Easter, we had our youth worship team did all the services at Easter. And they were amazing, weren't they? And just this last Wednesday, they were up here again. They were up here singing. They were worshiping God. They led us to the throne room through that worship, and it was so amazing. Isn't it great to see our youth walking out their faith? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing when we see that. When we see everyone that's on mission, it brings glory to God, and it builds up the church. Everyone benefits from this as we all continue to grow and stay on mission. You know, I remember um, when I was young, on Sundays, I would uh, want to be a pro football player after watching football games. And then on Monday, I probably wanted to be a firefighter. And then Tuesday, I wanted to join the military. You know, as a kid, I wasn't focused on a lot of things. But I also remember being easily fooled as a child. I was easily fooled as a child. And there were some times that I felt like I was really gullible, and other people thought I was really gullible too by the things they were telling me. But this illustration that Paul's using, this ship that lacks stability, being tossed around by these waves, being blown back and forth, is a description of a young child that's not mature yet. 
and that they are selfish and possibly easily distracted about all the things that go along. But as we grow up and as we become mature adults, we become more focused on things, on what people are telling us. We're focused on these things. And a mature Christ follower is not easily deceived and swayed by deceptive teachings. Stability is a sign of maturity. And when we're stable in God's word, there's maturity. And it isn't hard to uncover the point that Paul's trying to make for us here today when he talks about this. There's a great deal of easy gospel and shallow teachings out there, right? The uh, prosperity gospel or the doom and gloom, all these things. There's a great deal of all of this on TV and social media. We can be bombarded with all of that. Our only protection against falling prey to the lies and the half-truths is to be solidly grounded in the Word of God. To know the Word of God, that's what it is. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. We study the Word of God, we serve, and we pray. Well-fed sheep don't leave the flock. And sheep need to be fed the Word of God. The goal of the church is to grow up into maturity. It's to grow up in our maturity of our faith, to be like Jesus. In Luke 2.52, it says this, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew in stature and wisdom. You know, Jesus didn't start his ministry as a child. There were some things he did, but he started when he was 30 years old because he grew in wisdom. And Paul is giving us this picture of this ship, which is this immaturity that some of us have or that some people have, blowing back and forth. And now he wants to give us a picture of a mature Christian. As we look at this next verse, we'll see some characteristics of a mature Christian. It's evidence that maturity is in their lives. It's about cooperating with other believers because we need each other. In verse 15, it says this, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This is who we should be like, Jesus. Paul brings us back to our foundation. Our foundation is in Christ and in love. The love of Christ and love is the catalyst for growth and maturity for all of us. When the body grows as individuals, each one of us grow united as one body of Christ. And we're to grow because we feed on the Word of God. And then we start to minister to other people in love, bearing with one another, in love, speaking the truth in love. Love is our foundation. Who likes campfires? Anybody like campfires here? When it gets cool out? Yeah, we all do. I like it. When the evening is cool, we're drawn close to that fire because it provides both light and warmth. And this is like the perfect combination of truth and love. Truth without love is like light of a fire without any warmth. And love without truth is like the heat of a fire with no light. Truth without love makes people cold in the light. And love without truth makes people stumble in the dark. We need to both have 
truth and love together. In John 14, 6, it said, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit who guides the church is the spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit lives in each and every one of us. And the Holy Spirit guides us into this spirit. By contrast, our enemy, Satan, he's the father of lies, right? That's who he is. And this means that both our words should be honest and our actions should reflect Christ's integrity. We should be living our lives out loud. People should see the love of Christ in us by the example of the walk that we're walking. Speaking the truth in love is not always easy, it's not always convenient, and it's not pleasant. Telling a friend that they're believing a lie about God or that they hurt you isn't easy. It requires overcoming fear of rejection, putting aside our desires to please others, and stepping out in faith. In Proverbs 27, 6, it says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Maturing and sharing the truth join with love. That's what we do. And I want to give you a few things, a few things to help you along the way with this. The first thing is, very simply, rely on the Holy Spirit. Rely on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will give you the power and His presence as we live among other believers. And pray to God and ask Him about the conversations that you're about ready to have. Ask Him to give you the words and lead you in this conversation to have the Holy Spirit speak through you. Ask Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit and to surrender everything to Him and let Him lead by putting His desires above your own and being sensitive to how that person might respond to what you're telling them. It can be easy to trust ourselves and our experiences when we're giving advice, isn't it? It's easy to do that, but it can also be easy and come from a place of arrogance and pride instead of humility. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth of Christ, and the truth of that is, is that we need the supernatural patience and, these, and grace for these conversations. <clears throat> and I've mentioned this before, and this is so important. We leave the results up to God. Leave the results up to God. It's like witnessing. When we witness to somebody, what we do is we tell them about the love of Christ and what He can do for them, and that's it. The Holy Spirit's role is to convict them that they're a sinner and that they need Jesus Christ. That's not our role. And that's the same thing when it comes to speaking the truth in love. We tell them the truth in love, and then we leave the results up to God. Let God do what He does. We can't make someone change their mind, and we can't change somebody. And get this, not everybody's going to like us, okay? And that's okay. It's okay. But we're not called to change people. We need to be aware of the conversation that may not end well. It may not be the, the ending that we want. But we need to accept them and be brave enough to challenge them to grow 
and love. And Jesus wants his people to be like him. Christians should know that they are lovingly communicate the truth both to each other and to outsiders. And if we do this, we're able to live and walk a genuine and abundant life that Jesus Christ offers each and every one of us. Whether you're sharing the gospel with a friend or reminding someone of Jesus' character or just challenging them to obey God's word, each day believers can grow together as they speak the truth in love. And this is necessary if the church is going to grow doing Christ's work. Love is also a measure of growth. In fact, without love, we cannot grow. And love is a measure and a standard of truth. The point here is mature love in Christ shines a light on the truth. <clears throat> and then last verse, verse 16. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part <clears throat> does its work. How can we grow in our walk? The answer is that Christ forms the body into a group of individuals who are united in their purpose and their love for one another and for our Lord and Savior. It's not perfect people because we're not perfect, right? Imperfect people serving a perfect God. And the point here is if one stumbles, the rest of us are there to pick them up and help them along with their walk again. We do this together Spiritual unity is not something that we manufacture. It's something that we already have in Jesus Christ. And we must protect it and we must maintain it because lies divide us, the truth unites us. And therefore, speaking the truth in love, let's equip one another to edify each other so that we may all grow and be more like Jesus Christ and build the church Church, we walk and we move forward because we've outgrown who we used to be or that new identity in Christ. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning if you haven't started your walk and you haven't sat with our Lord and you don't know Him and don't have a relationship, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him this morning, to sit in His presence in Christ and start your walk. So if you would, if you just bow your heads, and if this is you and you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time and sit with him in those heavenly realms, just raise your hand. This is between you and God, and he sees it. This is between you and him. I'm going to give you a few more seconds, and then we're going to pray. And if that's you, pray this prayer. Father, I know I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of forgiveness. I need to start my walk today. I believe that you died for me on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to walk with you in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you've given me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son and what he's done for us on the cross. Father, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.